Hi, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. This week is part two of my conversation with toxicologist Dr. Michael Levine. So toxicologists, in addition to being experts on medications, they are also experts when it comes to animal and insect bites. So in this episode, we talk about some of my greatest fears, including, but not limited to, snake bites, spider bites, scorpion bites, and even bat urine. So thank you so much for listening. And if you do get an opportunity, I would be so grateful if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. And even better, I would love it if you would share this podcast with a friend. Dr. Levine, can I ask you about typical bites that you deal with that are problematic for kids or potentially problematic. What are the most common calls that you get about animal bites on children? Not from a toxicology standpoint, but from an emergency standpoint, far and away, it's the dog. Um, But in terms of from a toxicology standpoint, um, sometimes spiders, way more often people blaming spiders for their skin infection that has nothing to do with the spider. Um, And then sometimes snake, uh, snake animations as well. Can you tell me any advice for parents in terms of avoiding snake bites and how to handle snake bites? Yeah, so one of the, probably the best way to avoid a snake bite is to avoid the snake. So if you're outside, you're hiking, as you did on your, on your recent podcast, really try staying in the middle of the trail. Try avoid walking through little brush areas. If you're going to sit down, especially some snakes uh, or some rattlesnakes specifically like hiding in rocks and stuff, just be careful where you sit, where you reach your hand. Um, and similarly, if you're out in the garden, but watch where you put your hands before reaching for the volleyball or trimming the rose bushes. Snakes hide in bushes. Um, and sometimes they get, people get bit because they're reaching in. The snake thinks you're trying to reach for it. You're trying to reach for the rose bushes or the tennis ball or whatever it is that's sitting in the bushes. And the snake thinks you're reaching for it. You're reaching for the ball. And the snake's usually faster than you are and bites you. So avoid wow. the snake. Watch where you're putting your hands. Watch where you're walking. Um, wear shoes, especially uh, uh, covered shoes, not flip-flops, um, and ideally up the cover pass through the ankles. So if somebody's on a hike and they see a snake, what advice would you offer? Should they, should they turn around and run away? Should they, should they turn around and, w- and walk away. They shouldn't run away. So okay. uh, especially if you see a coiled snake, remember snakes can lunge about half of the body distance. Um, so it don't, people often will try stepping over a snake or walking right past the snake or they see the snake on the trail they think well i'm just going to walk immediately next to it two inches away from the snake or i'm going to gently step over the snake it never goes well so if you see a snake stop take several steps back slowly and then wait often the snake is just going to be like slithering across the trail and if you wait two or three minutes it's going to go on slithering its direction away from you and if it's really just sunbathing, it's getting around dusk and stuff, and it's just wanting to enjoy a little bit more of the heat from the side of the road or from wherever it is, they may wait there 15, 20, 30 minutes. Just wait if you either wait there or turn around and go back. But don't try walking around the snake if you're on any normal-sized path. Um, you're just not going to be able to safely walk around that snake. Now, in your experience, are, are baby rattlesnakes different from mature rattlesnakes? Not really. In terms so of everyone how much talks about... The, oh, the baby don't, doesn't know how much to venom to inject, so it injects everything. There's really not a lot of evidence for that. And there's maybe a small amount of evidence that the larger snake may actually inject slightly more venom. There is some data that the components of the venom change between a juvenile snake and an adult snake. Um, but it really is hit and miss. I've seen people get really sick from very little snakes. I've seen people be just fine from little snakes. And I've seen people get very sick from 
um, very large snakes, and people be absolutely fine from large snakes as well. So there's really no clear rhyme or reason. And once people get bit, do you have advice for how they should proceed? I mean, I've heard people, I just want to clarify a lot of myths out there. Some people think they should suck out the venom in the bite or yeah, they don't should put do, a tourniquet on. So don't suck the venom. Don't put tourniquets on. Don't put ice on. Don't incise the venom or the, the bite. Don't, uh, don't suck on the wound. Don't use shock therapy on the wound. Um, Basically, calmly as much as you can, which I realize sounds kind of like a stupid thing to say, oh, stay calm. So your child was just bitten by a, a deadly snake, but stay calm. The most, the vast majority of these snakes are going to be absolutely fine. The snake bites are going to be absolutely fine. Even among rattlesnakes, they're going to be just fine. It's really, really unusual to actually get truly critically ill or die. And it does occasionally happen, but it's really rare. So the best thing is stay where you are, take a couple steps back away from the snake, and then, I, and then once you've moved several feet away, call 911 and tell them where you are. And they could usually trace down exactly where you're calling from if you dial 911. With most uh, EMS systems have what's called enhanced 911, and they could look at where your signal is from different cell phone towers and really track down pretty closely where your call is coming from, even on the side of a mountain. Um, and they could get wow. to you pretty easily. So if you do an area you don't have cell reception, then slowly hike back to an area that you do. And then when they get to a hospital or a medical facility that hopefully has the treatment for them, do you find that that makes a difference or what in your experience, um, in your experience, are hospitals helpful in terms of treating bites? Yeah. So there's, there's a couple potential things. So there definitely are some guidelines. Hospitals can call poison control or talk to a toxicologist if they don't have one. Most hospitals don't have a toxicologist on staff or anyone specifically trained in snake bites. And I, I don't know about you, but certainly most, most pediatricians have seen either none or have had maybe a snake bite at some point in their residency. And the vast majority have almost no formal training in it. Um, and that's true of adults with internal medicine as well. So ideal, there is a little bit of data that, that you have improved care uh, on multiple different levels if you have a toxicologist involved in your care versus if not. But really, just go to any any hospital um, or any emergency department, and they should be able to take care of you. And then if they don't feel they have the capabilities, they can always transfer you at that point or talk to someone that does. And can you talk about the medication that's given for snake bites? Yeah, so in North America, there's or in the U.S. specifically, there's three different types of uh, crotalids, and then there's a type of elapid that's dangerous. So the elapid is the coral snake. And there's a couple different ones. There's the Texas, the Eastern, and the Sonoran coral snake. And then in terms of for the crotalids, there's rattlesnakes, copperheads, and cottonmouths. So for the pit vipers or the crotalids, you actually have two antivenoms that are now available. One is called Anavip, um, and one is called Crofab, and those are the, the brand names for them. Uh, and they're slightly different. Uh, they're made from different snakes. They have slightly different benefit each one is slightly different benefits or and slightly different downsides compared to the, the other one but they're both effective for treating rattlesnake bites or really any of the north american pit vipers i i just want to say i'm so grateful for you because um for those of you listening i actually met dr levine because he treated my nephew for a rattlesnake bite that he had a few weeks ago and you're absolutely right in my uh, 11 years of practice. He's my first rattlesnake bite that I've experienced, my nephew. 
And my dad, who I practice with, he's been practicing pediatrics for uh, 40 years, and this is his second rattlesnake bite. So um, it is interesting for how much we worry about rattlesnake bites. They're actually not very common, or you know, in our day-to-day lives, it's not something that we experience very commonly. But thank you so much. No, of course. Thank you. My, uh, my sister and my brother-in-law were so happy because they said, you were so experienced and knew what you were talking about. So I'm very grateful. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And is the medication hard to come by? It depends. Most, many hospitals carry at least the initial dose. Um, some hospitals don't. So if you're in an area that's used to seeing snake bites, they generally carry it, but not all do. Um, and if you're in an area that's, if you're in downtown Los Angeles, then most of the hospitals probably are not going to carry um, or be much less likely. So it's really kind of depending on where the hospital physically is located and how likely they are to see a snake bite. It's it expensive. Is. So a lot of hospitals, if you never see a snake bite, they don't necessarily carry it. And the half-life isn't very long, right? Doesn't it expire It's a couple of years. The shelf life's a few oh, okay. years. Okay, that's good. Um, since, since my nephew's had his snake bite, a lot of my sister's friends and family have said they don't want to hike anymore because they're nervous about getting a rattlesnake bite. Um, what do you think about this? Like in your experience after seeing so many bites, does it make you nervous about hiking or, or do you think you can do it safely? No, I think you can do it safely. Again, I would just kind of watch where you're hiking, try making some noise. Don't walk through a bunch of leaves at the corner of the bushes or the leaves at the corner of the trail. Um, and just watch where you're walking. And the one other thing is Thank I would, you. a lot of people put in like ear, like AirPods or earphones or whatever while they're, while they're hiking snakes, not all the time. Um, maybe not even the majority of the time, but frequently rattlesnakes have a, are called rattlesnakes for a reason. They have a rattle. If the snake feels threatened, it will stop and it'll make some really loud sound, uh, which is trying to warn you that the snake is here and not to get close to it. So if you're wearing some ear things, listening to music and not paying attention, you're less likely to hear the rattle. So just be aware of it. And probably in Los Angeles, probably half of the snake, which is very different than Arizona. So when I was in Arizona, tons of people got bit hiking, tons of people got hit, got, sorry, got bit. Well, they, they saw the snake. They tried to move it. They tried to step over it. This poor snake is going to get run over. Let me move it off the street, off the freeway or off the street before someone drives over it. It never goes well for them. The snake is always just fine. The person's not fine. Um, so that doesn't go. In Los Angeles, way more of our bites are, are people accidentally don't see the snakes or they're not paying attention. Or they step out of their on their porch and there's a snake sitting on their porch. They open the door and there's a snake sitting on their porch. They step on it or they're out in their garden reaching for something or gardening. Or probably half of the people that we see in, in Los Angeles are gardeners. Meaning half of uh, those with rattlesnake bites. My, my, there's a story in my family. My grandma did that. She was gardening and she picked up what she thought was a hose and it turned out to be a garden snake. It's a famous story in our family. Fortunately, she's, I'm sure she's, or fortunately, I'm sure she's probably fine. And fortunately, garden she's snakes fine. generally don't cause anything other than maybe a little bit of wound issue, but uh, like a little puncture wound. Uh, but yes, people definitely see snakes in their garden or sometimes don't see snakes in their garden. Right. No, I, I think the story goes all, you know, my grandma's case, all that resulted was a really loud scream that I think all the neighbors heard, but she was fine. Yeah, the snake was probably more scared than she was. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Okay, now what about spiders? So I have to admit, spiders are something that I am not a fan of. I know they're good for the environment. I know they're good for the ecosystem, but I, I am uh, a little bit arachnophobic. How, 
how common are uh, harmful spider bites? And do you have any advice? Yeah, so it slightly depends on where you are. But for the most part, most spiders are not going to hurt you. Most spiders are not going to cause problems. Spiders very, very rarely are going to be like, ooh, there's a person over there. I want to get revenge because they stepped on on my cousin yesterday. Uh, they're not looking to bite people, right? There's, well, obviously not in Los Angeles, but there's there's stories from places like the, in, in parts of the Midwest or in the South where there are where there are recluses and the exterminator goes in the house and finds that there's 10,000 different uh, brown recluses living in someone's basement. They've never even seen a single one or knew about them before. So there are people, people definitely obviously get bit by spiders. The vast, vast, vast majority of spider bites are from non-toxic spiders that aren't, and that are not going to cause any problems other than maybe a little welt or a little local redness. Um, I think the bigger issue is that people frequently will blame it's a brown recluse. So if you're in California, there is not a brown recluse in thousands of miles from you. So there's not, they're not in California. They are not in uh, Arizona. They're not in New Mexico. You're talking now over into the eastern part of Texas before you would realistically expect to see a brown recluse. So that little spider deciding to walk all the way across multiple state lines is probably not going to happen. So way more often than not, it's they have some local wound infection from, it could have started from a spider, it could have started from a puncture wound from anything. Um, and they have a little infection there and the little spider gets blamed way more than it probably deserves. So you're saying oftentimes when people have a welt that might look like a spider bite to them, it's actually uh, an infection, like a bacterial infection. Correct. Okay. Um, and I've heard also the name brown recluse, you know, recluse was given for good reason because they're constantly hiding and they're not actually, you know, going to be found coming after humans. They're more likely to be found hidden. Now, what about the famous black widow spider? What, what signs should families look for? And are they a cause for concern in California and other yeah, so parts we do of the have, We do have black widows in California. We actually have black widows in pretty much every state in the U.S. other than Alaska um, and Hawaii. But they're in all 48 contiguous uh, states in the U.S. So wow. patients can get bit by black widows. Uh, they, you can see a couple of things. So at the wound site, you can see it looks like a little bullseye type of appearance, like a little red area, followed by a little white area, followed by like another little red circle. And that can last for several hours. Patients will often have a lot of back pain, a lot of abdominal pain. You may see what's called fasciculation. So like the muscles are kind of doing like one of these kind of little tremor type things. In the extremities, the people could get really sweaty. Um, and you could see um, then some the heart rate and blood pressure and stuff can go up a lot and they're in a lot of pain. Um, so that's a higher grade envenomation from a black widow, uh, but you definitely can see them and you can see them in kids and you can see them in adults and you can see them in pretty much everyone in the middle. And if somebody does get bit by a black widow, what should we do? Should we wash it off? Should we take pain Just medication? Just wash it off. Doctor, like do local do? wound care. I'm saying wash it off. And if you start getting symptoms, you could either go at that point, you could call poison control or you could call your doctor or you could go to an emergency department. But if you're asymptomatic from okay. a spider bite, I wouldn't. You don't need to rush straight to an emergency department just because you saw, even if you clearly identified it as a black widow. What about tarantulas? I've seen tarantulas in the wild. Are they are they dangerous? No, not really. Uh, or not in the U.S. So just backing up, by the way, just to just to back okay. up for one second. 
in the United States, there's never been a death due to a black widow. There have been several deaths due to treatment for the black widows, due to people having allergic reactions to the antivenom that's given. But there's never been a death directly attributable to the black widow in the United States. You're helping me with my fear of spiders. I still hate them except on them. And now what about tarantulas? I've seen tarantulas before out in the wild and they've made me nervous. Is that is that a, uh, a reasonable fear or, or are tarantulas It's okay? absolutely a reasonable fear. They're huge spiders that look like they're going to come after you and they're big and fast and they look scary. It's absolutely totally appropriate to be afraid of them. You don't need to be. They're not dangerous really, but it's absolutely appropriate to be terrified of a tarantula. They look like horribly mean spiders that come out of some horror movie. Um, but with regards to do you actually cause yeah. problems? No, they, they get, they feel threatened. They kind of start shivering and they go like this, one of these little things and they flick off all their little hairs and the hairs fly at you. And it's like little bee stings. It gets into your skin and it's irritating and itching, but it's not really dangerous to humans. Is there any other kind of spider that we should be aware of or pay attention to? Not really. Now, what about, you mentioned scorpions. Are scorpion bites a cause for concern? Is there any advice for families? If, should they see a scorpion? So the bite, no. The sting, potentially. Uh, so it depends where you are. So, scor- so scorpions sting. Um, they grab onto whatever they, they want, like little pinchers, and their tail flips up, and they have this little stinger at the back of the tail, and it tries injecting venom into whatever it's going to. So when you're thinking of the scorpions, it really depends on where you are. So in the United States, the only potentially dangerous scorpion is what's called the bark scorpion, and that really lives just in Arizona. You may see it very, very, very infrequently right at the very eastern edge on California, the very western edge on New Mexico, um, and the very southern part of Texas coming up from Mexico. They're occasionally there. But for the most part, the bark scorpion is pretty much confined to Arizona. Um, You could... They look very similar to many other scorpions. They're like an inch, inch and a half long. They're tan. Um, they're, they're pretty nocturnal. They, the bark scorpion is the only one that knows how to climb vertically. So if you see a scorpion climbing up a wall, that's a bark scorpion. The, none of the other scorpions can climb vertically. Uh, but they're, And those could potentially be dangerous. So even if you're in Arizona oh, wow. and you get stung by a scorpion, uh, I would initially not do anything. If you want, you could call police and control um, and they could walk you through it. And even in children, most scorpion stings are not dangerous and are managed at home. Okay. And I've read, you know, in medical school, we learned that scorpion bites could be a cause of pancreatitis, inflammation of the pancreas. Is this something you've ever seen? Not in the U.S. So it's specifically confined to a subspecies in Trinidad, and that could cause pancreatitis. I remember that was a big question that came up on our medical board. Everyone talks about it. Wait, where's the pancreas involved with all this? What do you mean it doesn't happen? But it's in my mnemonic for pancreatitis. The S is scorpion stings. What do you mean it doesn't happen? Right. Yeah, I was a little disappointed to find out you actually don't. Now, another question I have. What about rabid animals? Um, have, you seen, have you seen this before? And is this something that any advice for parents? In your experience, yeah, so has this ever happened before? If your kid is bit by an animal and there's, and there's a break in the skin, it's certainly appropriate to go to the pediatrician, go to the emergency department, go to urgent care if you have any concerns over things. Because the, the, the wound needs to be cleaned. It may need antibiotics. It may need stitches. It kind of depends on the specific bite. In terms of animals that contain rabies, you somewhat have to look at where you are, and it's pretty geographically located. So, for example, in Los Angeles County, and I imagine it's probably the, in the case in the vast majority of the United States, there hasn't been rabies from dog bites in years, decades. So if you have a bite from a fox or a squirrel 
or you have a skunk bite or something like that, yes, even in LA County, I would be potentially concerned about that and then we would treat you for rabies uh, from a post-exposure standpoint. We'd give you the rabies vaccine plus uh, uh, what's called immune globulin um, if you're bitten by those. If you're bitten by a dog, uh, we, there's just not rabies uh, from dogs in Los Angeles County. Almost everyone gets their dogs vaccinated and even those who don't, um, the, the there's just so much of everyone else having their dogs vaccinated that it's really, really, really unusual for dogs to have rabies. So in LA County, no, I wouldn't be worried about it. If I was going to be going on a vacation, I'm going to parts of Mexico. Yes, I probably would actually get a rabies vaccination series before. So if you're hiking in the middle of somewhere in Mexico and you're not going to be able to have easy access to get anywhere, then yeah, that's potentially a problem. So if you're bitten, like I said, by a fox or a squirrel or a skunk or a raccoon, absolutely I would be concerned uh, and that would get that would get treated. And the first steps for parents, should that happen, uh, when you talk about cleaning the wound, any specific advice? I mean, oh, with and how water. many minutes? And then call and then go see the to the emergency room. Yeah, call the if the obviously if you see a giant bite when there's like a big open wound, then calling the pediatrician on the telephone may not yeah. be they, they, unless they could get you in that day, which is great. Maybe they could. Um, then you may otherwise need to go to an urgent care or an emergency department. Um, but if you're or but it somewhat depends on if it's a large open wound, then that's going to need to get fixed, and that's not something that you could do over the telephone. So it somewhat depends on on what the bite is and what the bite looks like. In your experience as a toxicologist, have you ever experienced rabies? Have you ever had a patient who's actually had rabies? That's had it? No. We've treated uh, multiple people for, uh, with, uh, that have been bitten by animals that are potentially rabid, uh, like, fox, like fox bites or squirrel bites or animals like that. We've definitely treated patients that have been bitten by an animal that could contain rabies. The other big thing is bats. So... Right, bats don't actually have to bite you. If you have a bat fly into your house, everyone in the house needs to get treated because the, there's rabies that goes in the bat urine. And if the bat pees in your house, it could aerosolize the rabies. So everyone in the house, even if, they're, if they find a bat inside of your house, everyone needs to get rabies uh, post-exposure prophylaxis. Wow. Is there a certain amount of time that a exposure needs to get treated? You know, is there a time window where they have to be You're given the medication? You're sooner rather than later. I don't see, we don't have many bats here in California. No, but like when I trained I back in Boston in for Texas residency, we'd have people with bats fly in their house and just the, because they're not acting right, if they, their echolocation thing isn't working right um, if they're flying in a house. So the concern is at that point that the bat was rabid and that's why it went into your house. Um, and then everyone in the house needs to get treated. Wow. This is really interesting. I hope I never come across this. Are there any other animals that, from a toxicologist standpoint, that you want to uh, provide information to families listening? The only other thing from an animal standpoint is just if you're going to keep pets, know what your pets are. Make sure your pets are allowed to have. Keeping venomous animals is probably not a wise idea, especially for anyone, but especially if you have little kids in the house. Uh, Probably a poor idea to keep like your pet rattlesnake in your house. Um, Gila monsters, every once in a while, you have people keep those as pets. They're not, they're primarily native to the Southwest. Um, and just, if you see them, just leave them alone. They're really shy. They don't like biting people. Um, they bite when you're, they're being handled or they're really feeling threatened, but they don't just jump out and bite people. Do you feel like as a toxicologist, you 
you are extra nervous because you see so many harms from what things that can happen? Or do you feel like the opposite? I'm certainly more probably cautious okay. about different animals and stuff. But when it comes down to medications, it's like, well, big deal. So there's RAID. Fine, you spray. I remember at one point I was like, I sprayed RAID all throughout. Um, I sprayed, we had like a bunch of ants outside and I was like spraying RAID and the, my kid, the, the kids f- f- had a friend over and the parent was like, what are you doing? You're RAID. And I'm like, ah, it's fine. And I'm just like spraying the whole thing all around. And mom, a toxicologist, it's totally fine. It's outdoors. Don't worry about it. And the, kid, the parents are like freaking out. What are you doing? You don't want them. They never played together after that. <laughs> <laughs> because the parents didn't like the raid? Yeah, I don't know. They never came over to our house. Because of the that. raid? <laughs> they were oh. terrified of me. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and expertise, and we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. Don't forget to take a moment to leave a review and share with a friend. Your support is what helps this podcast grow. See you next Monday.